Uh, weekend. Variety. Wireless. It's Bullshit. Hallelujah. Yeah. Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles. How are you, Susie? Oh, good, thank you. How are you? Fabulous. Uh, just a heads up. We had a little game of uh, Truth or Cup sequences about the Football World Cup, the final happening overnight. Uh, congratulations to Simon, who won the copy of World Cup Baby by Ewan McCabe. And Ewan McCabe will be up again later this hour uh, to talk about the World Cup and its peculiar history as well as this year's tournament as well because he's just so eloquent and full of great stories. Okay, let's head off uh, for sceptical thoughts. First up, chiropractic. We've talked about this previously. We don't mind talking about it again because people <laughs> can always be listening for the first time. Indeed. Uh, it's a fancy, sciencey sounding word for people who think that by manipulating your spine, it can cure you of things that have got nothing to do with your spine. Just yeah. Well, we should clarify magic. that there's sort of two camps of chiropractors now. So okay. there's the so there's the the woo ones that are based on this kind of principle of the energies and all this kind of nonsense. And by realigning the spine, you realign all sorts of things. Oh, and, I bet you anything there's a stuff. vibration in there. Too. Oh yeah. And then they use these really weird little devices that like don't do anything but cost a lot of money. Anyway, uh, so there's the, so there's the woo version, and then I think there are those who are trying to kind of move it away from the woo so they they kind of say no they really do treat you know kind of back related things rather than autism and various other things all right if you've got back pain maybe they can yeah i mean i believe the evidence is on balance you're safer going to a physiotherapist than a chiropractor okay um because of the kind of risk of stroke and various other things that happen if uh, if you have this sort of spinal manipulation um so yeah so make that clear there's kind of two camps but what's always astonished me is that this is something that is available on acc and it's actually something like they've, they've been very clever lots of people think they are a genuine kind of medical thing yeah as opposed to have this kind of crazy history of 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 <laughs> being based on nothing. Anyway, um, so yes, it's available on um, ACC. I was trying to find some recent numbers of how much money ACC spends on it. The last I was able to find was from an Official Information Act request that gave the numbers for 2012. Uh, do you want to take a guess how much money ACC spends on chiropractors? I've got no. I've got millionitis. It's, it's some grass turned yellow, and uh, <laughs> when a tent was on the council. Uh, grounds a few years ago and the news said it was going to cost $5 million to fix. <laughs> so I don't know anything. <laughs> uh, it was over $11 million that year. No! Yeah, so it is... It, <laughs> I don't know what it is now. It would be really interesting to know if it's gone up or down. It was certainly going up. And uh, Anyway, anyway. so what's kind of come out in the news um, over the last couple of days is there was another official information net request put in to find out how much ACC had spent on chiropractic-related injuries. Oh, injuries so created by, by said practitioners. Yes, so things like sprains, fractures and bruises, um, but possibly, I guess, other related things. I don't know whether there have been any cases of strokes or broken, broken backs and stuff. There certainly have been overseas. Um, anyway, so since July 2012, up until May this year, the ACC has spent seven hundred and seventy-nine thousand dollars nine hundred sorry seven hundred seventy-nine thousand nine hundred eighty dollars on these injury claims. That's quite bonkers. It is. So they're paying for the, treatment, paying for the treatment, and then they're and paying then for the... they're having to repay for the treatment. This is a double own goal. 
isn't it? <laughs> it is. What's kind of sad, though, is that the the um, the so of that amount, uh, three hundred and fifty-eight thousand. So nearly half of it was spent on Waikato-based claims, um, and they say that that payment figure has been inflated by a complex case. Um, but they won't provide any details. So that does suggest somebody who's been rather badly injured. Oh. Doesn't it? it a complex case. We don't know. We don't know. Really, but it could but it be. it sounds interesting. It's a complex case. It is. But Far for the privacy out. of the individuals in concern, yeah, yeah. Uh, no no more information will be given. Oh, okay. Nothing mm. specific to Waikato other than just that person is there. It's not a, a cowbell-associated <laughs> injury. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, that's kind of, um, gosh, yes. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, now, commercial planes. Uh, <laughs> we're talking jets for evangelists here. <laughs> and I'm... It makes me nearly cry, actually, sometimes when I see evangelists getting around without a jet. <laughs> do you they, worry about them? I do worry about them. I see them in, in uh, limousines and think, why aren't you flying? <laughs> Doesn't anyone love you? Doesn't anyone really appreciate the work you do in saving souls? And you need a jet. Uh, here are some evangelists explaining why this is a very, very good idea. We believe in God for a brand new Falcon 7X so we can go anywhere in the world one stop. I really believe that if Jesus was physically on the earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. Think about that for a minute. He'd be in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world. God in the plane that God so graciously gave us, I literally unbuckled my seatbelt, my plane, I stood up. My pilot looked and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. <laughs> he went back to flying. I'll read the scripture May I interrupt you right Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have done that on an airline. No, sir. No way. Stand up and say, what'd you say, Lord? No. Okay, no, yeah. And the guy sitting over there saying, what the hell does he think he's doing? <laughs> you can't do you that. You can't do that. No, no. This, this is so important. <laughs> Please give now. <laughs> he needs 54 million for his jets. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You expand on the hubris of these people. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just, it's mind-boggling. This particular um, uh, televangelist, uh, that's his fourth jet he's after. Uh. He's got three others, but he wants a Falcon, whatever it is, uh. so that he can, I don't know. So it's not just a jet he wants. He wants it's a, a particular one. type of one, not like my other three. Yeah, basically. <laughs> oh. So that he can get places without having to refuel. Because that will be cheaper, apparently, right. than a $54 million right. uh, There are shocking stats out there. They can be really quite disturbing when you hear that one in four evangelists don't have three jets. <laughs> They've got four. One in four people. One in four. <laughs> Four Avengers, one I of love, them. I love one of the reasons. So the, obviously, the re, like one of the reasons is you know so that they can commune with God. Mm. I don't know whether that means they need to be closer, whatever. Uh, the other reason, of course, was that you know if Jesus was alive today, he would be using a jet. Um, and then the other one is that apparently uh, commercial jets are long tubes filled with demons, and I think by demons he's referring to the other passengers. Oh. Um, they just, my, I, I'm just kind of, my mind boggles that people believe them. But, but people do, right? I mean, we have, we have, we have these people here too, where you know we have our evangelists, where people yeah. are throwing money at they them. They do very, very well. They do very 
Oh, they've got great cars, great houses. You and I might scratch our heads and go, how on earth can this yeah. pass muster? But it does. It does. So it's something we, we need to understand, I suppose. Yeah. It, or at least tear apart mercilessly. So it doesn't happen. It makes me a bit sad because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I like I obviously spend a lot of time, my time, uh, trying to raise money for my research. Like we're we're trying to do some good stuff, like mm. find some new medicines and things. And I don't, I don't have anybody flinging. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? I should start watching more of their shows and see see what it is that I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I think the most salient example of such a thing that is confounding is a televangelist by the name of Peter Popoff who was complete and utter charlatan had wires um, telegraphed into his ear, into an earpiece where his wife would get information about people and he would just spurt it out and saying, Jesus told me this. Uh, and James Randi um, oh, yes. exposed him and actually played the recordings of the conversations between the two as it was happening. And so he was exposed as a complete and utter charlatan and fraud. He's back and he's doing well. Very well indeed. Stop. Look him up, folks. Let, let's move on. Popoff. P-O-P-O-V. <laughs> Peter Popoff. Okay. <sighs> now, coroner says uh, spiritual healers missed a chance to prevent a woman's death. Now, we have something uh, pretty spooky here. This is uh, cosmic <laughs> supernatural water. Yes. <laughs> it is. Shall we hear this first? What would you like? The woo or the testimonial? Oh, Here's a, here's a testimonial about this water. Hang on. Meet Ed Stracher, a former electronics engineer and inventor, turns a successful author and trainer who fell into a deep slump going through some intensely difficult times, arising afterwards with some fascinating revelations and abilities. He energized the water, and as I was drinking water, it felt like it was glowing was happening from the inside of me, and I started feeling a light vibration throughout my entire body. It was just a real beautiful energy. When I came out of it, I felt very relaxed and um, actually almost a bit giggly. Light vibrations. Mm, mm. So this dude is a remote healer. He basically uses Facebook chats and Skype to apparently heal and people and give them spiritual guidance and things like that. Uh, and there's clearly a bunch of people um, who believe him. Really sadly, there was a New Zealand woman who apparently paid him at least $23,000 for consultations, which, uh, and unfortunately, the woman ended up taking her own life. And um, so the coroner have been doing the... Um, what do they call it? The inquest into mm. her death. Uh, and basically has, is essentially very disappointed that uh, that she spent any money on this guy. And apparently she's he's listened to some of the... Um, some of the... Uh, I don't know what you would call it. Um, consultations. And said that basically he was uh, abusive and unprofessional. Called the woman a hopeless victim. Um, but And he's basically said that this woman should have got help uh, and, um, you know, she oh. would, have, would presumably be alive today if she if she got help. So he was very cross about this man. But also a local woman who um, 
again, she describes herself as a spiritual teacher and master soul healer. Um, She gave evidence, I believe. The coroner was like, she is completely misguided, is no use at all, uh, knew how distressed the, this woman was and should have basically told her family and tried to get her help. And he's very was very sad to see that she is still basically soliciting clients who need um, stress advice and stuff like that. And it's just so sad, these people that exist. I mean, this dude who basically just through, through Facebook and Skype scams people and... But, uh, and in this case, it's in you know ended with somebody not getting the help they needed and um, and taking their own life. It's just right. This person awful. was seriously distressed, and they gave this time honoured piece of helpful advice. Snap out of it. Mm, indeed. Uh, dear idea. Yeah. Um, I just what makes these people tick? Yeah, and also it's a um, salutary point. Uh, that would be a, a good idea to go to that website. Um, what is it? Not do no harm. It does. Mm. It does no harm. Mm. Thing saying. Well, come on. This stuff. Yeah. It doesn't. Don't. What? Why are you trying to pull these people's beliefs apart? They do no harm. No, they do they do, do harm. Do. Yeah. yeah. Um, we've got a further explanation of this water woo. Exactly how it works in the spiritual dimension. So real truth is aligning your heart and mind and soul with a high enough vibration that you can access it. Once you access it, then you can connect to the angels and the angels connect to you. And when we talk about angels, there are levels of angels. There are lower dark angels and there are higher angels of love, life, and light. And for me, I align with only angels of love, life, and light aligned in the order of Melchizedek, which means Jesus Christ, Babaji Krishna, Lao Tzu, certainly Mother Mary, Kuan Yim, and all these saints are all in the order of Melchizedek. And this is the highest level of love, life, and light in the universe. Once the water in our body is energized, once the spirits are restored, everything becomes possible. So once you realize the truth and understanding this concept of DNA, DNA is the big secret. We have dumbed down DNA. We can enhance our DNA. And you don't need to go to a a certified board at the hospital to do it. In fact, they will prevent you from knowing this. This is the exact hidden knowledge they don't want you to know. You can expand your DNA. You can reprogram your DNA. And there's really a battle now going on at the higher forces because the dark forces are trying to dumb down your DNA, change it with GMOs, change it with HDTVs and other technologies. They're trying to dumb down our DNA and change us, basically enslave mankind. Right. <laughs> I mean, and this is the thing, right? It would be really funny if these people weren't actually, you know, taking people's money and causing utter mayhem and... Ah! Yeah. And Melchizedek, an unfamiliar term to uh, most of us, is a very famous figure in the Old Testament. Right. He's a priest that uh, Abraham ran into, and many people of the modern evangelists believe he is actually Jesus Christ showing up in the Old Testament. Uh-huh. So there you go. Right. Well, there you go. And he's oh, he's one saving our DNA, or I don't know what. Yeah, no, what the from DNA the thing. TVs. Um, so our DNA is being mucked about by. By uh, stuff, stuff, yeah, but mucked about in a good way by the angels, yeah. apparently. Oh my god, okay. Uh, 23 after nine o'clock, we'll take a short break. We've got more woo coming up, don't go anywhere. 
This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. You're not kidding, Daddy-O. Skeptical Thoughts with Susie Wiles and, oh, a listener called Alan and his friend Pauline uh, sent through this foot spa thing. I know. Um, thank, thank you, you very so much. much. It's really good when we get stuff <laughs> that's, like, way out there woo. Um, Susie does a pretty damn good job, along with Mark, at finding all the woo that is out there. And But we love, we love your... Uh, we can't follow it all. <laughs> Tell us about this. What is the deal? Uh, so this is a foot spa detox. Uh, takes just 30 minutes. I've looked this lady up. Um, she charges 45 minutes. Uh, 45 minutes. She charges $45 for mm. 30 minutes. Basically, you pop your feet in uh, a little foot bath, which, uh, according to her thing, um, carries positive and negative electric current, which gently mobilizes toxic materials and metabol uh, metabolic waste, allowing their removal through the feet. What the hell is well, in the foot bath? Well, uh, a bit of salty water, um, and then and then oh my god, you see the pictures like so, and it's and the brochure is full of pictures, people. Mm. Um, so it starts with five minutes, people's feet uh, in this water, and you can see clear water, and then by thirty minutes, it's like they're stood in mud. I mean, it's this horrible brown stuff. Clearly, all the toxins coming out, and then there's a very handy little um, chart explaining that the color of the water uh, um, is uh, relates to which bit of your body was being detoxed. So if it's yellow green, this was detoxifying the kidna, kidney, I can't speak today, bladder, urinary tract, prostate area. If it was orange, it was the joints. Uh, black is the liver. Dark green, the gallbladder. It just goes on and on and on. <sighs> this is something that sounds like something from medieval before we really found found out anything. <laughs> well, it's... Um, the humours. Yes. Yeah, I want to know how. So how does get the water? How does the water change colour? Well, this, I'm surprised she's never turned it on without anybody's feet in, just to see what happens. Oh. Because funnily enough, it changes colour regardless of whether there's people's feet in it. It is magic, then. It is magic. <laughs> um, so it's basically all to do with the salt in the water and what the electrodes are made out of, mm. and it's chemistry, chemistry in action. We love it. Far it's got out. nothing to do with your humours or your gallbladder. Okay. Uh, but for forty-five dollars, um, you can go to this wonderful Reiki master, um, who's a who's a expert in flower essences, and you can just put your feet in some water. Flower essences—that's the mm. buy-in, isn't it? People <laughs> love flowers. People love essences. Well, it must be good. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, where was this oh. from? The spin-off TV did a neat thing about um, over anxiety. Over anxiousness. <laughs> Is anxiousness a word? Um, ramped up anxiety about vitamins. Here we here, here they go. Maybe I wasn't as healthy as I thought. I took an online quiz to find out, and my worst fears were confirmed. Be pure, endorsed by wellness influencers and athletes alike, and offering a free virtual consult. Maybe they could help. It's a Be Pure Clinic. How would you rate your sleep quality? I just feel a little bit kind of tired when I wake up. Cool. Do you notice anything with your menstrual cycle? Uh, besides crying more during movies, everything else seems to be pretty normal. I think that the BPO-1 and the BPO-3 would be a really good place to start. Things like an aversion to bright light or having no appetite in the morning, you know, a slump at 3 p.m., it might be adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue? I think I might have that. I should have known. I was dying. So I went to a doctor to have it confirmed. 
Is adrenal fatigue a real thing? That name adrenal fatigue doesn't refer to any, any illness that's known to um, medicine. Should someone like me be taking vitamins? I think that on the whole, what you've done probably hasn't harmed you in any way, um, except that it's probably cost you a lot of money that you could have spent on something else. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, this is a great work by um, so Madeline Chapman, uh, and the doctor she's talking to is uh, Dr. Ben Albert, um, who's a paediatrician, and uh, he's been doing a lot of work around sort of fish oils and stuff, and mm. um, whether they're a good or a bad thing. Uh, yeah, and so I just love that that a um, little bit of debunking of adrenal fatigue. You know, this oh, do you have a slump in the afternoons? Are you tired? <laughs> Everyone the, has a slump in the I afternoons know, if I they know. concentrate on it enough. I know, I know. I like I'm getting to the age now where I need a nana nap in the afternoons. Yeah. Oh, I don't have adrenal fatigue because it doesn't exist. Anyway. You have a vague a great... sense of anxiety. <laughs> yes. Oh, you've got it bad. Well, I mean, for goodness sake, what's going on in the world? Yes, of course we've got a vague <laughs> sense of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so well well done. Well done, team. Um, yeah. It's great to see that sort of stuff being debunked. Okay. Susie Wiles, thank you so much. Uh, it's a public service, really. <laughs> so good for you. And we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. All going well. Thank you. All right, next up, World Cup baby, we could call him. He's Ewan McCabe, the author of said book. Uh, it's a lovely thing on the World Cup, and I love having Ewan McCabe as a correspondent during the World Cup tournament because um, he manages to um, el elicit feelings from the tournament that appeal to everybody and stories. You don't need to be into football you don't even need to be into sport we'll be talking the world cup with you and mccabe very very shortly but in any case we probably talk about it because it's only going to be watched by about three billion people on the planet so we're not exactly saying um this is doors oh, just an unpopular thing all righty uh time to go to the commercial break can you do the commercial break we're in a different studio now uh, that one mm -hmm. thank you the most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Okay, time to concentrate on some football. It's the World Cup of Football. The final is happening overnight. Croatia versus France. Who to thunk it? Um, Croatia, of course, the underdogs. Population about 4 million. This is the first time they've ever made it to a final. So those that don't give a hoot about either places will be thinking, oh, gosh, it'd be lovely if Croatia would win it. Even this close to Bastille Day, which was Saturday. Ewan McCabe, author of World Cup Baby, joins us again. Thanks so much for being around during the World Cup, Ewan. It's been great fun. Are you there? Are you there? You I am. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. <laughs> Everything's perfectly fine. Um, okay, Ewan, the, as people don't already know, you watch every single game. You have since time immemorial. We won't go back and, and detail exactly how many games you've seen, but we may as well ask, the, this tournament, you've seen them all, all the games of them. Your thoughts on this one? Um, well, it's traditional for me. I don't like to make a call about um, whether it's the best tournament I've watched uh, or make a, a call generally about the tournament until at least 100 days have passed. That's my kind of rule. So I allow myself about three months to kind of think about it. Uh, but I have to say there's been plenty to enthuse about in this tournament. Um, it's been hosted extremely well by Russia. Um, the Russian people have really been involved 
uh, in the whole concept right from the beginning, seeing them kind of exhibiting themselves in public, which is something you don't often see from the Russian people, has been great. Obviously, that was helped by the performance of the home side as well. Um, in terms of the football, uh, it's been an excellent tournament, really. A uh, bit of a slow start. I thought um, the quality of the football was a bit lacking in the first week or so, but it certainly picked up as the tournament's gone on. What? Um, what about Portugal-Spain? Well, that was an exception. What about Mexico-Germany? That was ridiculous. <laughs> there are a couple of exceptions, but there are a lot of um, one-nil and one-alls at the beginning and, and a lot of goals, that you know, penalties and own goals. And, and the quality of the finishing just... And, and also, we didn't see many great team goals. Yeah. Um, but we've, as the tournament's progressed, they've come into the picture very much. So, and in fact, if you look across now at this tournament and try and pick a, a goal of the tournament, you'd be struggling because there are plenty of contenders now. And I, and I think the quality of the football in terms of the teamwork uh, and the finishing has improved markedly as the tournament's gone on. And we've seen some terrific teams at this tournament, like the Belgians and the French. Um, and so in terms of whether it's the greatest or not, I won't make a call on that. Uh, it's still my ultimate favourite, still USA 94, yeah. and probably will stay that way. Um, but in terms of um, where it ranks, it's going to rank pretty high, that's for sure. One thing I do really hope for, though, is that we get a decent final. Now, that's um, something that's hard to find. It is. Um, you almost have to... The 1998 final, I think you were over there, weren't you, Graham? Yeah. Um, when France beat Brazil, that was a good final because uh, there was quality football. Two tremendous goals by Zinedine Zidane. And, of course, France, the host nation, won it. Uh, but that was a little bit one-sided. Uh, France were always going to win that game against a Brazilian side that had a shadow cast over it just before kickoff when we had this business about whether Ronaldo was going to come out of the tunnel or not. Mm. Um, but you really do have to go back 32 years to 1986 to find a final that people still talk about. Uh, and that wasn't a great game in terms of quality, but it had huge drama because Argentina were 2-0 in front. And the Germans, who they were playing in the final, mounted a rear guard action as only the Germans can and came back to two all. And then Diego Maradona um, split the defence wide open with a great pass. Vera Targa scored the winning goal for Argentina. So there was a lot of drama at the end of that final. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> in the 32 years that have passed, uh, the finals haven't been great. And I talked about USA 94 being my favourite tournament. That tournament had a terrible final. Um, it, in fact, I said in my book it was a bit like someone went and plonked a dead rat on top of a big cake um, because it was just such a, a sad end to the tournament. That was a nil-all draw between Italy and um, Brazil mm. that had to be settled by penalties. And it's just unfortunate. I think... It's it's just there's so much at stake, isn't there, in these finals. There's so much riding on it, and teams tend to become a little, a little bit more hesitant. There are players out there who don't want to be the one that makes the mistake that they'll be remembered forever for because, you know, they gave up possession or made the mistake that led to the opposition scoring. So there's a reservation and a kind of hesitancy that creeps into the final that you don't see maybe in... Uh, games earlier in the tournament. I just hope that doesn't happen tonight. But having said that, I'm a little bit guarded because the Croatians have got a kind of... Um, uh, they've got a, a tough style, if you like. Um, and I just hope it doesn't kind of pervade over France and kind of drag the final down. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, 
just talking about that 94 final, we, we should let people in on a little secret between ourselves, shall we, Ewan? <laughs> Uh, well, it's Sunday, so... <laughs> it is Sunday. Uh, as a footballer, probably my favourite footballer, it, uh, nobody would say he's the greatest footballer ever on the planet, um, but he'd be up there. He might be in the top ten, I suppose, depending on who you talk to. Roberto Baggio is his name. I just loved him because of his fluidity, the grace, the poise, the way he made it seem easy, the way he never looked as though he was running fast but did, the way that he would mesmerise people. He'd hypnotise defenders in front of him. They'd fall over at some distance, like he had a strange power. Uh, an example is here. Giannini. The ball pushed up for offside the checks. It actually is in an offside position if it's delivered to him yet. But still, Badger. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. As you just glided past the Czech defenders, they seemed to fall down due to a death ray, or something along those lines. That, w that was a thing. Um, now, in 1994, it ended up like this. There's a certain symmetry about this. Italy's hopes in the World Cup before the tournament began were pinned on the shoulders of this man. Roberto Baggio. He takes on Tafarel. And that was the end. Uh, he'll be remembered for that probably more than other stuff in the general public, missing that penalty. So I have a picture of Roberto Baggio on my wall. Uh, it's framed and it's just as he missed the penalty because such a fine footballer, it's, it's all, to me like it's a sacrifice. It's, I'm not a religious person, but it's, it's, it's like a cross where Jesus sacrificed himself for our sins. All footballers, no matter how good you are, you can cock up. And so if you've made a dreadful mistake, you can come home, look at Baggio, one of the finest footballers on the planet. He's just looking down on the ground, still dignified, and the goalkeeper's arms are in the air, elated. And I look at that and go, well, thank you. <laughs> yes, I've got a photo of him on my wall too. We, we must be, I'm sure we're the only two people in New Zealand, Graham, that do, but... So maybe we're a little bit odd, but um, <laughs> my photographs of him in, in, during the 1990 tournament. The thing about 1994 was he dragged that Italian team. That Italian team wasn't that great, mm. and he dragged them all the way to the final um, in a manner that only great players can do. And then, of course, that penalty miss at the end, and as I've often said, it's just such a sad epitaph to his career. And he looks so lost in the... You're right, he still managed to compose himself with grace, mm. given the situation was extraordinary, but he looked like a, a, as I said in my book, he looked like a child who was just watching uh, his balloon waft up into the sky, mm. never to be seen again. Yeah. It, it was a very sad It's ending. still even more Jesus parallels, doesn't it? It's just, it goes on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
All right. Uh, now, I want a cracking story from past World Cups to make, you know, an are you sitting down story. Um, one I've mentioned a couple of times is the weirdest thing. Scotland in 1950 qualified for the World Cup. Scotland loved football. They can lay claim to inventing it, actually, the way it's played today. England can say all they like, but the Scots will disagree and they have an argument. Um, they didn't bother turning up in 1950. <laughs> they didn't. Um, this was this was really strange, wasn't it? Um, the three World Cups played before the war, so this 1950 tournament was the fourth tournament. They'd had three before the war and the British teams hadn't been. And there was a little bit, there was um, kind of a disconnect between Britain and FIFA, the international body that runs the world football and runs the World Cup, uh, in that the British, of course, um, said that they invented the modern game, uh, which is true. They kind of um, drew up the rules and got things rolling, if you like. Was that um, what they told you? Yeah, and of course that's where this this phrase "football's coming home" comes from that we've heard a lot of in the last couple of weeks as mm. England have progressed through the tournament. Uh, but uh, the British teams wouldn't go to the initial World Cup, so FIFA uh, were desperate to try and bridge the gap. So what they said in 1950 for the first World Cup after the war is, "You won't have to go through the normal qualifying process um, to reach the final, which was the finals, which were being played." that year in Brazil, down in South America, uh, they said, what we're going to do is you have your home championship where uh, Wales, Northern Ireland, um, Scotland and England compete. Uh, and what we'll do there is the top two finishers in that uh, competition will automatically qualify for the World Cup. So it was kind of an olive branch or an encouragement to get uh, England and uh, the home nations in general on board to get them to buy into the World Cup thing. Now, what happened is Scotland, uh, uh, sorry, England beat Scotland in the deciding fixture. So England won the home championship that year, but Scotland finished second. Now, according to what FIFA had said, that meant both teams qualified for the Brazilian World Cup of 1950. Now, England went uh, and they got humiliated. They were beaten by the United States of America in a group match. Mm. The United States in those days, uh, football in America is a big global game now. Uh, you know, the 18 million people play the game in America. Uh, but back then, the American team that went to that World Cup were part-timers. And in fact, they had to raise money to actually get to the tournament. And then they beat England. So England's introduction to the World Cup was uh, humiliating. Uh, it was something that they... Couldn't re didn't really rectify for 16 years when they won it in 1966. But meanwhile, Scotland, who were also invited to the party in 1950 as the runners-up of that home championship, they declined to go. Uh, and the head of the Scottish Football Association said at the time, we will only go, he said this before the home nations began, thank you for the offer, FIFA, but we'll only be attending if we win the home championship, which they didn't do because England beat them and therefore they finished second. It was a matter of pride and also bristling competition and, um, and it's animus between Scotland and England. Yes, I think so. And also I think it was um, that kind of... Um, there's a little bit of stubbornness with the Scots, isn't there? And, yeah. and I can say that with my name, Ewan McCabe. Uh, I'm entitled to make that comment. There's a little bit that's a little bit stubborn about the Scottish um, psyche, isn't there? And I think that was part of it as well. Yeah. All right. Oh, 
I played this during Media Stick, but I wouldn't mind doing it again. Um, just a piece of poetry from commentator Peter Drury, and this is after the England lost to Croatia. And just playing it, it will go past quickly. I'm just going to read out some um, lines from it. He must have written this down. He must have practised this for such an occasion. He, he would have had a script for a win and a script for a loss. Three brave lions shrink sadly away as they lose to Croatia this sharp-edged 21st century collection of artists and labourers. And in keeping with half a century of hurtful history, England are once more denied their utopian moment, a thrilling tease against its weary instincts. It was gloriously tempted to believe again only once more for that old, familiar emptiness to return. Oh, my word. Here it is. England, it's another oh so near. England's three brave lions slink sadly away as Croatia reach out for their paradise. 20 years since their trailblazing generation went almost all the way on World Cup debut. This sharp-edged 21st century collection of artists and labourers, ball winners and ball users, and in keeping with half a century of hurtful history, England are once more denied their utopian moment. Football nation, it has been a thrilling tease. Against its weary instincts, it was gloriously tempted to believe again. Only once more for that old familiar emptiness to return. And Bobby and Nobby and Banksy and Bawley and Co. remain for now still the only ones. Oh, it was a thing, wasn't it? <laughs> that is extraordinary, isn't it? Um, it it's uh, almost a cross between Winston Churchill and William Shakespeare, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. In fact, I think if Shakespeare was around these days and wrote uh, a play about the World Cup, they know the merchants of Zagreb or something, I think lines similar to that would have flown out. <laughs> it's quite interesting, isn't it? I wonder if he did um, just ad-lib that or if he had prepared that speech, if you like, if, if England were defeated. I don't know, but quite an interesting story. He used to, uh, when he was a child, he used to commentate on his uh, mother doing the ironing. Uh, so he was always destined to be a commentator. I'm not too sure if uh, the description of his mother's ironing quite reached those heights. I would. I'd pay good money for a tape. <laughs> but it's wonderful, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Better, better than the other bloke, or one of the other blokes, who said is more along the lines of, ah, and FIFA using a round ball. Today is the what to do on a rectangular pitch, a pitch... With grass on it, not too long, not too short. It's the way FIFA like it. Ball's passed <laughs> with the boot. He's, he's in it with his foot, he has. Yeah, anyway, all right. I detect a Yorkshire accent in there somewhere. Um, yeah, um, all right. I don't know where it was. Somewhere. Oxbridge, wherever the hell that is. Okay, um, we've got to take a break. We'll come back. And when we return, something you'll want to know about if you're watching the World Cup, something not many people know about, and it's to do with the Croatian side. They, many of them in Croatia, are booing their star player.
You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Ewan McCabe, author of World Cup Baby. Uh, you can get a copy of the book if you like. Comes highly recommended. Uh, just email you. What's your email, Ewan? Tell people. Uh, Ewan at gmail.com. So E-U-A-N-A-N-D-D-I-A-N-E at gmail.com. Great, and it's up on the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage as well, so you don't have to write that down now. You can just go and uh, email if you'd like a copy of the book, 30 bucks, uh, anywhere in the country. We gave away a copy earlier. We didn't give it away, they had to earn it. Now this thing about uh, the star player in Croatia, um, the Croatian player, Modric, he's been one of the star performers of, of the tournament. A bit on, bit off, but man, he's been one of the better ones. Now there's this journalist, Juraj uh, Vlodjuk's Yuri surname, I'm going to call him, um, a negative emotions about Modric run deep. A friend called me straight after the Denmark match, he said. When Modric missed that penalty for a second, I thought, there is a God. He's at the heart of a corruption scandal and it's dividing Croatia's football fans. There's this manager who's been sentenced to six and a half years in prison for fraud and corruption and is escaping jail because he's yoinked it off to Bosnia and he's... uh, Modric was supposed to be the star witness in court putting this guy in jail for just awful corruption. We can't go into the... We can go into the details. We haven't got time. And Modric turned up in court. He says, yeah, I've got all this information. I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that, you know, watch out for what I say. And apparently he went to court and was absolutely tragic. He denied everything, claimed he couldn't remember, and the public just became completely furious with him. So, despite Croatia, I mean, you know, things may be a, a little bit different in the light of them getting to the World Cup final, but their country is still divided about their star player. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, apparently he's facing perjury charges when he gets home, so uh, that'll be quite interesting, won't it? He could be coming back to Zagreb with the World Cup and then as soon as he kind of steps off the podium where there'll be a million people greeting the team, he might be led off and handcuffs to face these perjury trials. It's certainly not anything new, is it? Um, Cristiano Ronaldo has um, just been faced a big uh, tax evasion charge in Spain where he's been playing with Real Madrid for some years. And just this week he signed with the Italian club Juventus and people seem to believe it's because he wants to get out of Spain with everything that's happened there. And, of course, the famous incident of Paolo Rossi. He's got a hat-trick for Italy in 1982 that knocked Brazil out of the World Cup. He had been he'd just come back into the game before that tournament because he'd been banned for match-fixing. So this kind of thing isn't something new at the World Cup, but it's certainly disappointing, isn't it? Because Modric uh, is clearly the star of this Croatian side. And for this young nation of just 4 million people... Uh, trying to kind of still establish its own identity. This should be a huge moment for the country and you would wish that everybody could get behind everybody involved and especially the captain. I mean, this is like um, us winning the Rugby World Cup and Richie McCaw being public enemy number one. So it's very sad. Yeah, it should be unabashed joy, but it maybe won't be. It'll be really interesting to find out how uh, it is perceived up there uh, because, yeah, he's in big trouble and is uh, not exactly well liked because of what he did. Anyway, we've got two minutes left. Um, what I'll leave it up to you. I've chatted too much probably. What do you uh, want to say about this tournament or what's going to happen overnight? Uh, well, as I said before, I just hope uh, that we have a good final to cap 
off the tournament. Uh, one thing that is interesting, Graham, is just uh, this week uh, FIFA announced the plans for the next World Cup because, of course, me being me, um, I get very disappointed uh, as the tournament draws to a conclusion and I start thinking ahead to the next one in four years' time. Mm. And what's really interesting about 2022, the next World Cup, it's been held in Qatar uh, in the Middle East and FIFA announced this week that it will no longer be a June-July tournament, as every World Cup has been. It will be shifted to November-December uh, because of the heat in Katia. Uh, the average temperature is about 41 in June-July, but it drops to about 27 at the end of the year. Uh, that's great for the players uh, and the supporters who, and the people who will be attending the tournament, but it's not so great for other people around the world because, of course, the, all the major football club uh, competitions around the world will have to be suspended halfway through to accommodate this World Cup. Mm. And of course, it's running right up to virtually up a week before Christmas, 18th of November through to, no, hang on, the 21st of November through to the 18th of December. So the next World Cup's going to be very different. Uh, and also. How did they get it? This is ridiculous. It's just cash, 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 isn't it? Well, that's the rumour, isn't it? Now I read also that they were going to build 11 stadiums, but they can't afford that, so they're down to eight now. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't have a problem with Katia holding the World Cup because it is the World Cup. Uh, I don't think it should be always played in Europe or South America. No. Um, but FIFA don't appear to have done their homework on this one. No. Um, and the cash that was up for offer at the time might have something to do with that. Ewan McCabe, it's been great fun. Might get a summary, a shorter one next week or whatever you like, really. We'll, we'll fit you in somehow. Thanks so much for all of that, Ewan McCabe, author of World Cup Baby. Details on the Weekend Variety Wallace web page.